0: Have you ever walked past a dumpster and then, like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? <laughs> I can put on
1: these glasses. Let's start eating that fast. <laughs> yeah, there's a baby in the You're listening to the True Crime Dumpster Podcast with hosts Amy and
0: Kevin. Can you hear me? I'm Kevin.
1: Yes. And we're doing this long distance, which sucks. Um, Kevin's in Portland and I am in Ventura and we are separated by about 800-ish miles, but we're still doing it.
0: We are still doing it.
1: Yeah. And part of that is we, we took last week off. There's a lot of reasons. I feel like a lot of podcasts took last week off because I think that I think that election anxiety was real. I totally yeah. didn't subscribe <laughs> wait, there was election yeah. um, i don't sub I didn 't subscribe to like any of the hubbub, you know, but I could still feel it in my stomach, you know like it felt gross.
0: I think that was the curry. <laughs>
1: But uh yeah, so we're back this week and it's one of our favorite times because tomorrow wait, what is tomorrow? Yeah. Wow. We're we're recording this kind of late in the week because it was hard to coordinate. But tomorrow's Friday the thirteenth.
0: Da da da. Yeah, and
1: yep. there's not that many Friday the thirteenth in the month, so they seem special and that we've gotta acknowledge them.
0: They're special to us.
1: Yeah, why 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 is Friday the thirteenth special to you?
0: Because I love people named Jason. <laughs> so, yeah. Was,
1: so this, the movie uh-huh. is
0: the biggest thing.
1: Yeah, obviously. But like we said in a, a, an episode of, almost a year ago, probably, we did a Friday the 13th episode, is that, you know, 13 is an unlucky number in a lot of ways. A lot of really unhappy things have happened on Friday the 13th. I was looking at a list of them. Back,
0: I think it goes back to, like, The Knights Templar were all, yeah, uh, yeah yeah, they were executed on a Friday the 13th.
1: Yeah, and also there were two gnarly plane crashes in the 70s on the same day. One of them was that soccer team in the Andes Mountain that Alive is based off of. Right. That was on Friday the 13th. And then I guess there was like another plane crash, I think like in the Ukraine or something, that killed like 174 people on that day as well. So... Yeah, it's, it's, it's an unlucky day. But like, you know, many statisticians and historians have said, it's not proportionately crazier than other normal days or anything. It's just that, you know, there's now something, especially with the movie franchise, I'm sure. There's just kind of some negative juju around the day, I guess. But to me, it's maybe because I'm an alternative chick. It's, I, I like Friday the 13th. I think of black cats and, you know, tarot cards. <laughs> I don't
0: know. I was saying stuff, but you probably can't understand what I was saying. But we were talking about Friday the 13th and um, all the happiness it brings us.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Especially as of late, huh?
0: Yeah. You know, it's been a pretty weird year, 2020. Yeah. It's getting weirder. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we'll see. But, you know, um, so I've heard bad things happen on Friday the 13th, but I didn't have a day like Betty Gore.
0: Betty Gore.
1: Yes, Betty Gore. Aptly named. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the case of Betty Gore today.
0: All right. Let's do it.
1: So most of the information I got, like I would say 90% of the information I got was from this really, really amazing Texas Monthly article called, it was a two-parter and it was a very two very long articles that actually were turned into a book called Evidence of Love. And the writers are Jim Atkinson and John Bloom, and it was written in 1984. So quite a while ago, this this crime happened almost 40 years ago. And the name of the article is Love and Death in Silicon Prairie, Part 1, Candy Montgomery's Affair. And then Part 2 is called Love and Death in Silicon Prairie, The Killing of Betty Gore. So two really, really excellent long articles about, you know, this, this crazy case. I use another article by Chanel Vargas that was actually published like this year. And one of the reasons she published it is because I believe it is like the 40th anniversary of this crime. And so they're going to like commemorate it um, by having a television show or like a movie come out about it. And the person who's supposed to be the lead actress in it is the chick from Handmaid's Tale, Elizabeth Moss, I think her name is. And she was also like in Mad Men and a bunch of other stuff as well um but yeah i guess it's going to be made into either like a film or tv show or something because it's it's a fairly interesting case to discuss are you ready i'm familiar yeah learn me oh are you familiar with this case no I oh not, not at all oh, okay so it takes place in this area east of collin county the name of the town is called wiley texas But it's so rural, like it's considered like the country, although it's definitely changed today. But Collin County is was a fairly like rural community made up of like eight to 10 tiny towns. And it was about 20 miles southwest or Dallas was located about 20 miles southwest of this area. And it was during a time where there was a lot of urban sprawl happening and people who Didn't want to be a part of it, you know, moved out to the country. And today we would consider it more of the suburbs. But back in the day, like in the late 70s uh, or mid to late 70s, people moved there so that their kids could go to, the, you know, the little red schoolhouse. There literally was a little, little, little red schoolhouse. And they could go to the, you know, big kind of plantation-like white church, you know. Everything was very, like, quaint and countryly and all that stuff. That's not a word, but I, you know, whatever. I like it. Yeah. So there's this woman. Her name's Candy Montgomery. She's a loving mother and housewife in Wiley, Texas. And she also taught Bible school. I think she volunteered. I don't think she was, like, officially a teacher. And she was very, very, very involved in the local church. Because also, if you live rurally like that, that's also your social network, you know. Mm. So Candy married a guy named Pat Montgomery, who was an electrical engineer for Texas Instruments in the early 70s. He did very, very well for them. And they were fairly wealthy. And she liked not having to work. But as a result, she was super duper bored all the time. Because he would be gone a lot because, you know, he had to commute to work, I'm assuming, probably in Dallas. So Candy, at church, she met a woman named Betty. And so the name of the church was the Methodist Church of Lucas, where the two formed a friendship. So let me tell you about Betty. Okay. Betty Pomeroy, uh, who she used to be known as, she married a dude named Alan Gore in 1970 And they settled in the suburbs of Dallas, also in Wiley, Texas. They had one child and he was working for Rockwell International, an electronics conglomerate and major defense contractor. So similar to Pat Montgomery, he was in a fairly high position in like electronics company and doing really well for himself. And Betty, Tried to become an elementary school teacher, but she couldn't handle it. And so she quit because she also could. Like he was making enough money to support both of them and she could be home with the kid. So then they also did decide to have a second child at some point, which when they decided to have the second child, the process made the sex super mechanical and predictable and put a huge strain on their marriage. So (laughs) Candy was bored. Alan was bored, and this is often how nightmares begin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you get bored people in their relationships, and they're looking for something to do.
0: Itchy trigger finger.
1: Yeah. So I didn't know that. I'm I'm gonna go ahead and admit, admit my sexism here. I didn't know that dudes played volleyball that much. Like, bro,
0: you never seen fucking Top Gun.
1: Uh it's been so long. Like
0: the best part, they're all greased up.
1: I mean, I didn't know people like I mean There's
0: like the <laughs> cool high five
1: outside of the movies. I didn't know people dudes played volleyball. I thought it was more of a female sport, so I apologize. I I need to check myself. You really do. So, on a church volleyball court on a late summer day in 1978, Candy collided. <laughs> With Alan Gore, as they both tried to make a play on the same ball.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: it was a fairly innocuous event, uh, but to Candy, Alan Gore smelled sexy.
0: <laughs> I'm trying to picture what a sexy smell from Alan I'm Gore in Riley like,
1: Texas. No. Like. <laughs> yeah. So Maybe for So for weeks, she had been thinking about and talking about having an affair to shake up her very boring life with her husband, Pat. And apparently she actually talked to her friends about it. She was like, I'm looking to have an affair. She wanted to have explosive transcendental sex, like, quote unquote, fireworks. And she thought that maybe this sexy smelling man who played volleyball could provide that for her. But let me let me describe this sexy man for you.
0: You smell like Copenhagen and pork rinds. <laughs>
1: um, he had a receding hairline. It was a little chunky around his midsection. He dressed boring, probably in khakis. And uh the other things that stood out about him that made him attractive to her was that he was active in church, he loved kids. And he also seemed to be the standout partner in an otherwise mismatched couple. So she kind of saw like a kindred spirit in him, I think. He also sang in the choir. He helped organize the church sports teams and he was funny. And she thought he was attracted to her too, which I will say is attractive. If you think somebody's into you, that kind of automatically makes it easier to like them. (laughs) So they innocently started flirting at church. And when I was reading this part of the Texas Monthly article, I couldn't help but think of the song. You know that one song? Like, maybe we're, darling, let's give them something to talk about. That song? You know, I
0: do know that song because they play it like (laughs) 10 times a day at my fucking (laughs) work.
1: Well, that, I mean, it sounds like for months, like, they just flirted with the idea of flirting, kind of like they didn't actually do anything. And I think people actually kind of were talking because I also think she was talking to her friends about this, too, you know, like, ooh, maybe it'll be him. And so for a long time, there you know, brushes on the shoulders or maybe some closeness or standing by each other in choir or something. But they were definitely giving the congregation something to talk about, you know,
0: <laughs> this sounds like the most boring place ever. I
1: know. This is the, and I'm going to tell you right now, this is the most boring affair you've ever heard, okay? Not that, I mean, any affair is Like sex really was boring. fucking
0: explosive.
1: Well, we'll talk about why she ends up really liking Alan. I don't think it was explosive sex, but...
0: It was the receding hairline and the fat belly.
1: I think so. <laughs> so one day after, I think it was like months of like subtle flirting. She finally just like went for it and she slid into, she slid into his car and said she had feelings for him and wanted to do something about it. And then she like bolted. And so then he called her up afterwards. Like I think he waited weeks cuz this was like the slowest affair ever. Um he called her up and was like, "Hey, let's meet up for lunch and we can talk about what you talked about in the car with me." So It took them two weeks to discuss the rules of their affair.
0: (laughs) That's explosive.
1: (laughs) They didn't, I don't even think they kissed or anything. So at the end of November, so they started flirting in July. It's November now, right? So it's been a while. So this is a very like slow affair. But again, I think both of them are hesitant because I mean, I'm like, they're both church going people. And she was also really good friends with Betty Gore, which was his wife, right? So at the end of November, Candy came up with an idea. She invited Alan to her house for lunch and she fixed her famous lasagna for the occasion. And they sat down and made like literally a list of rules. <laughs> this, is, I, I, this is, I think, before they even kissed. So she <laughs> came to his house and they got out a magic marker and a big piece of butcher paper and they, they made two columns and on the left was why's, and on the right was why nots. And they literally wrote down why they should or should not have an affair.
0: (laughs) What a bunch of fucking squares.
1: And then Alan actually looking at the list was like, maybe we shouldn't have an affair. It doesn't seem like a good idea. And, I think that when they got down to it, they're like, no, let's have the affair. So they ate lunch. <laughs> so weird. They ate lunch and then they're like, okay, we got to be careful, right? And one of the why nots was we need to think about what we're getting into. And she said, Alan, as far as I'm concerned, this is, just for some, this is just for fun. I'm not serious about it. It's just a companion and we shouldn't be afraid. So whatever happens, happens and let's do this, right? And she was like, the only thing is we can't get emotionally involved. And he was like, absolutely. This is just going to be about sex. And so again, like a couple more days passed. I think they added more items to the list. They kept talking about the pros and cons of this relationship and they came up with this list of rules. And it was actually in the article. So I'm going to say they wanted to make sure to have a proper affair where they wouldn't get caught or hurt each other. So they literally had a list of rules. And so number one. Well, it's not numbered, but I will read it. It says if either one of them wanted to end the affair for whatever reason, it would end. No questions asked. That's the first rule. Second rule is if either one became too emotionally involved, the affair would end. Number three, if they ever started taking risks that shouldn't be taken, the affair would end. Number four, all expenses, food, motel room, gasoline would be shared equally. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm not even going to continue with the numbers because I don't even know where I'm at. Uh, They would meet only on weekdays while their spouses were at work. And Candy would be in charge of fixing lunch on the days that they met so that they could have more time because she was a stay-at-home wife. That was a rule, Um, Yeah, that was a rule. They figured they would at least need all of Alan's two-hour lunch breaks. Wow, two-hour lunch break. That's wow, nice.
0: they're that, getting into yeah. some tantric territory there.
1: <laughs> well, they have to eat first, I guess. You know, well, you, you got to
0: fucking carve up before you lay down the fucking,
1: <laughs> the, lay down the uh,
0: yeah.
1: So Candy would be in charge of getting a motel room for the same reason. She had more time, right? And that they would meet on a Tuesday or Thursday once every two weeks, <laughs> That was because Candy was free only on days when her little boy attended the play day preschool at Allen Methodist church. And she took him each Tuesday and Thursday from nine to two, but figured that she would at least need at least three out of four of the school days for all the other errands and school and church duties that she actually did in her hectic schedule. So she scheduled literally scheduled this affair so that she wouldn't like look bad to the church or her kids or her husband. Cause like, Really, in the end, she didn't want to get a divorce. She just wanted a little side action. Okay. Just fucking straight. Mean,
0: so, where does God fit into this? Uh, that's he wasn't enough side action for her.
1: I, you know, maybe, maybe she's a fake Christian. I don't know.
0: Ooh.
1: Yeah. I- so, having checked everything off the list, and. <laughs> It says in the article, like astronauts getting ready to launch, they set their date for the affair to begin, (laughs) which is just so ridiculous. So it was to begin on December 12th, 1978. So if you're doing the math with me, that's about five months after the volleyball colliding incident. You know, so that's that's a long time to potentially wait for maybe something to happen, you know, and that's a lot of buildup, too.
0: It's like that opposite of explosive.
1: Yeah, it's like implosive. Like
0: a slow simmer.
1: (laughs) So their first encounter was at a fairly nice hotel called the Continental Inn. And man, the detail that the Texas Monthly article goes into about her food preparation is fucking amazing. Um, So I can't tell you enough. If you think the story is interesting, you want to know more, definitely read the Texas Monthly article or articles. But um, Candy was getting ready, and she marinated the chicken.
0: <laughs> Is that, like, innuendo for something?
1: She was marinating the chicken and tossing the salad. So, yeah, oh, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Multitasking. <laughs> so she,
1: so she, um, she had cooked it all, brought it to the hotel, and then arranged it beautifully as this chicken feast on the bed. <laughs> On the bed. Yeah, she put all the chicken feasts on the bed, and then she slipped into her favorite peekaboo negligee. It was a soft pink in color um, and quite sheer. (laughs) (laughs) It was long and flowing down to her ankles, and it showed off her body with her slightly too large thighs. But she was like, you know what? I've had two kids. Like, I look pretty good. And she like literally po- was posing by the window, looking out, waiting for him to arrive.
0: <laughs> with the so chicken like, on the bed.
1: With the chicken on the bed. Yeah. Uh, so after their first meeting. Oh, so they did it, I guess. They ate chicken. I think they ate first because otherwise they would have had sex on the chicken. So I think they ate the chicken first. You think you would only get it after. This is not explosive sex. We're during. <laughs> That's true.
0: It's, it's always a good time for chicken.
1: <laughs> so after meeting, it was obvious that they wanted more, I'm assuming, chicken and sex.
0: <laughs> <laughs> chicken and dumplings.
1: So as promised, a week later, or maybe even like uh, two weeks later, just before the Christmas holidays... They arranged by phone for a repeat performance, as the article says. So this time, <laughs> she spent the morning. I love, again, I love the detail they go into it about the food. <laughs> she prepared teriyaki beef strips and cheese blintzes.
0: <laughs> Ooh, I, can't,
1: I can't think of a more sexy food to eat. Cheese and beef.
0: <laughs> yeah, when you put it like that, sounds pretty good.
1: And then she, as she was going to the kind of like nice uh, hotel that they were at, the Continental Inn, she realized that there was a cheaper motel across the street, but it was a little sleazier. But she's like, well, eh, if I could save some money on this affair, yeah, no. why not? You know, the so Ash she decided- motel. <laughs> It was called the Como Motel, and it was quite a come down from the luxurious standards of the Continental. But this is where they continued their love affair in the Como Hotel.
0: Coma.
1: Coma. <laughs> <Como. laughs> Their affair is so boring and they probably felt like they were going into a coma. So the Como Motel was quite a come down from the Continental Inn, but nonetheless the affair persisted. And in the last days of 1978 and the first three months of 1979, Alan and Candy became. Glorious lovers. Wow. (laughs) While dining on taco salads and homemade lasagnas.
0: In bed. In
1: bed. (laughs) It's so gross. Hot, dude. Yeah, and um, lasagna sex. And they uh, they sipped cheap red wine out of the hotel or motel plastic cups. So yeah, like I said, this went on for about four months, like three and a half months. And during that time, Candy continued to pretend like everything was fine, as did Alan. But remember, sh- Betty is pregnant with her second kid during this time. And what's pretty crazy is how good of friends Betty and Candy were. So much so that Candy threw Betty a baby shower.
0: Did she serve I- chicken?
1: <laughs> I'm sure she did. It was sex <laughs> chicken. Yeah. So over the next several months, Candy and Alan, like I said, continued their affair, and they snuck off whenever they could. But their affair kind of came to a little bit of a halt after the birth of, the, of their second child. And I think that's when they started kind of talking about ending the affair. But they were both having their debts because they, you know, it was fun, but it was actually becoming kind of a nuisance. Um, Candy was actually tired of, like, making this elaborate meal every other week. <laughs> She actually was like, this sucks. But she really liked so they had these like cute little interactions at church and they he would sometimes just call to say hi. And like she was really thriving on the compliments and the little niceties that like he brought to her. And that's why she loved him so much or liked him so much, right? Because there's no else to fall in love, right? Yeah and um, she really liked that about him he was very sweet it, he was basically everything that her husband wasn't which was thoughtful <laughs> and so she started noticing changes so Betty started noticing changes in Alan and she started getting super depressed and she started getting these aches and pains all over her body and she started getting pretty hooked on prescription painkillers soothe her anxiety because I think she knew deep down inside he was cheating on her but and alan had brought up earlier prior to the affair like hey there's this christian marriage retreat we can go to called marriage encounters and it's basically a weekend of like working on your relationship with your partner and i think we should go and she was like totally disgusted with the idea she's like absolutely not our marriage is fine you know and so like you know six months whenever you know after he mentioned it to her she was like maybe we should to go go to this marriage encounter thing so they actually did go to this marriage encounter thing and basically like it was a lot of like letter writing and you know being intimate with each other and counseling and really intense therapy for like uh, an entire weekend and guess who watched the kids
0: chicken lady <laughs>
1: candy yeah candy the chicken lady um she actually ended up watching the gore's kids for them it's so weird so it's just like he drops his kids off at his mistress's house so that he can go work on his relationship with his wife it's just it's just very strange (laughs) so after he came back he was way more distant because he actually like really wanted to make things work with his wife and so she actually called him and was like hey I'm going to call it like, I feel like you're not willing to call this off. So I'll call it off. Like let, let's be done. And he was like, okay, awesome. And so it was like a fairly amicable breakup. And they both decided like, uh, and actually Candy and her husband, Pat, they actually went on the marriage encounter as well because she was like, well, you know, fuck it. If he can do it with his wife, I can do it with my husband, you know? And so all of them kind of wanted to just like, kind of pretend like the affair never happened. And they both seemed fine with it. Right? So you're probably wondering when the murder happens. Huh?
0: It was in the rules.
1: Yeah, it was in the rules. But you're probably wondering where's the true crime aspect of it other than adultery, right? Yeah. I, I, I believe months and months go by and everything is kind of back to normal. Betty and Candy are, you know, raising their kids together. Their two girls are best friends. They go swimming together. They stop by each other's houses. There's church activities with both families. Um, and although, like, Candy missed Alan and she got comfortable with the idea of him, I think that she was okay with the breakup, right? Oh. Uh-huh. So, literally, I think a year passes. So, we're talking, like, 1980 at this point, And the affair has been over with, right? And by all accounts this is a big period of time that's somewhat unaccounted for I think Candy went on with her life Betty went on with her life Alan went on with his life and who cares about Pat but like every everybody kind of just like went in their own separate ways and pretended as if the affair didn't happen I, I don't even think there was like awkwardness or anything I'm, you know I can't say that for sure but but then dun 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 Friday the 13th right
0: oh shit
1: you know this is called Friday the 13th. So we got to talk about on the night of Friday the 13th, which is June 13th, 1980. So again, this is probably, probably at least I would say maybe a year after the affair ended, maybe even two years. (laughs) So Alan was away on a business trip. He Had joined a smaller electronics company, I think partially to relocate, I think to get away from candy to some extent or just, you know, kind of start off fresh, new, you know, new life, new job. And one thing that Betty really hated was when he was gone. And so whenever he was gone, he would call her a lot to check up on her to make sure she was okay, because, you know, she was raising two kids on her own when he whenever he was out of town. And he called her on that evening, Friday the 13th in 1980, and she didn't answer. And so he was like, that's really weird because she's like the most consistent human being ever, you know? Uh And so he called up his neighbor, this guy named Richard Parker, who was actually their real estate agent, and he had a real estate agent from when they bought the house like two or three years prior. And so he, it said in the long form article that like, he was kind of annoyed. Cause he's like, dude, I just sold you a house. Like I'm not your friend. You can't just like call me up, you know? But nonetheless, he was like, Hey, can you go check on my wife? And he was like, Ugh. so he's like, fine. And he like goes and checks on the house and he's like, yeah, the lights are on it. Everything looks fine. What do you want me to do? And he ends up calling him back like numerous times. Cause he can't get a hold of her. And he, the the real estate agent, like really did not want to help, and I think that you know Alan could kind of sense that. So he calls like another friend who I believe was like either a coworker or ex coworker to go check in on things. And then that guy was like, "Yeah, something seemed sketchy." And so okay. then I think they were able to kind of get a little bit of a neighborhood search, and they ended up going into the house. And when they walked into the, they they said that they there was definitely like a smell like that heavy kind of iron smell in the air yeah and then they walked into the baby's bedroom because the baby was with the baby her name's bethany she's with betty because she's very young but the older girl Alyssa or lisa she's actually at the gore she's actually at candy's house because like i said candy's kid and their older daughter the gore's older daughter they were so home alone with the baby they the these the neighborhood search kind of starts they walk into the baby's room and the baby is profusely crying she's got feces all over her she looks terrible she's obvious she's dehydrated obviously she's been left alone for quite a while and so they immediately snatch the baby and run out of there and then one of the guys goes into the bedroom and he just sees blood and he freaks out and he calls 911 Uh uh-huh I think one of the other guys decides to peek into the bedroom and to him, he just saw a bloodied head and he was like, uh, that's not good. Yeah. So he just assumed that she shot her head. She she shot her head off. Like basically she committed suicide. Right. So he called Alan back and was like, she's not alive. Like she blew her head off and he was like, we don't even have guns in the house. That's insane. And he knew that his wife was prone to, like, bouts of depression and stuff. So it wasn't, like, totally out of the norm, out of the realm of possibility for her to have killed herself. But he was still obviously very distraught about it. And so, basically, that's that's what happens. Like, she dies. And it's just, like, this mysterious weird death. They come to find later on that it wasn't a gunshot. But it was, an, it was this very bloody axe scene where she had been hacked to death. Like she was hit like over 40 times with an axe and she was nearly decapitated. Wow. And the only thing left at the scene that could point towards anything was a bloody footprint. And so Candy heard about the footprint and she started to freak out. And you're probably thinking, why would Candy freak out about this? Um, Well, I'm here to tell you that (laughs) Candy has something to do with this you don't say so alan knew that candy was the last person to be at the house because she was picking up elisa's swimsuit to go swimming and he did not know of anybody else that went to the house after that so he knows for a fact that candy was there last he actually called to tell candy because remember candy also has his daughter at this point and so he was like freaking out and she started to freak out and she woke up pat And everybody was freaking out and she was acting like nothing, you know, nothing had happened. And then he finally, he, Alan went to the police and was like, yo, I need to tell you that there's this woman, Candy. And she was the last person probably to see my wife alive. So she should probably be a suspect. And they were like, okay, thanks for the info. Uh And then she gets arrested. And then later on, he's like, oh, and by the way, I used to have an affair with her. I used to have... This Sally affair with her. Um, so she might have a motive to kill. But like it would be really weird if she killed for that. But I, sh- I should let you guys know. So affair to the police, and she's taken into custody. And she retains a lawyer from their church named Don Crowder. And this was like very big news, because remember, this is like a tiny, tiny rural community in the quote unquote country at the time. Now it's more like the suburbs. But it was it was big news. It was an axe murder case. And the only person being arrested for it was a church going woman, you know. Yeah. Um, and by all accounts, like both women were, you know, it, like, it's just idyllic, you just the, the reason people moved to this community was to kind of escape any kind of craziness of Dallas, right. Yeah. So the high, um, the lawyer hired a psychiatrist who was also a clinical hypnotist. Name D- Dr. Fred Fawson or I'm gonna say it's Fason. Faison. Faison. Mm. Faison. Okay. Faison. I'm going to say Faw. It's F A S O N. Fawson. Fason. Fawson. Fawson. Okay. Fawson. I'm going to go with because it's spelled like Jason. So Dr. Fawson, you know, talked with her for hours about childhood trauma and all this stuff and deep rooted shit, right? And then he felt like she trusted him. So he put her under hypnosis right and she was under hypnosis she remembered that when she went over to betty gore's house that day that betty confronted her when she was picking up the swimsuit did you have an affair with my husband and she said no or she said are you having an affair with my husband and she said no and she's like have you ever had an affair with my husband and she's like it was so long ago and it didn't mean anything but yes i did And so Betty, apparently this is according to her under hypnosis, went and grabbed an ax and tried to attack her. This is again, all under hypnosis, you know, and said that the reason that there was like the bloody footprint there is that the ax like actually like fell and chopped her toe, like candy's toe. And that was like the first blow, I guess. So candy was basically able to wrestle or Russell, 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 Russell. Russell. <laughs> she was able to wrestle the axe away from her. And, the, you know, the psychiatrist thinks that the deep seated trauma and anger triggered something in her and she just saw red. And that kind of accounts for the overkill. Cause, like I told you, like she was struck like over 40 times with an axe and she was like nearly get decapitated right yeah and she didn't have rage towards betty and what's so crazy is that the fair ended amicably y- at least a year prior right right so it was and it was this axe was not just any axe it was three feet long
0: yeah it's like a big wood splitting axe. <laughs> yeah
1: yeah so Candy brought the blade of the ax down into the back of Betty's head, which I believe was the death blow.
0: That should do the trick. Yeah.
1: And they struggled for a really long time, which is why, I mean, Betty definitely, I mean, Candy definitely remembered the attack, but I, I think that she blocked parts of it out and didn't really understood what happened until she was under hypnosis. If we believe her. Right. But she basically went home and changed her shoes and like, washed her clothes and stuff like she was aware and like her toe hurt um and really when it came down to it betty was left with 41 axe wounds i believe like 30 of which happened before her death fuck yeah so the crazy part so she so he you know found out all this information they talk about with the lawyer and they're like fuck it we're gonna go forward with this like that she was defense. It was defensive fighting because, I mean, it was Betty's axe. Like, it wasn't like Candy came with the axe, you know? And part of it is that, like, she went into that child trauma rage, you know? Like, it triggered something in her when 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 Betty came at her, you know? So, she went on the stand and she told them everything. She was, like, about you know, fucking hitting her forty one times out of this extreme rage, this pent up rage from her childhood, and that it was it was in defense. And the trial lasted a few days. Um everybody wanted to seat to it. They said it was as, as as popular as going to like a Dallas Cowboys game. <laughs> and um it's crazy to say, but she was found not guilty. What? Yeah. <sighs> And there it is. That is the that is the murder of Betty Gore.
0: That's crazy. She was found not I
1: no. I mean, it is crazy to think that, like, she wasn't mad at Betty. You know what I mean? Like, she wasn't mad at Betty. She wasn't mad at Alan. I think she missed him. But I think that they both were like, happy in their marriages eventually. You know, and and that's what's so crazy is that, like, if she had all this pent-up rage or if there was any evidence of it, like, against, like, Betty or Alan, I could see there's no evidence of her not being over the affair. Like, by all accounts, she was over and done with it. I mean, she was watching Betty's kid. Right. When when all this happened. And so, I guess, technically speaking, it was in defense, but then the overkill... The psychiatrist explains is this trigger that went off in her that's left over from childhood trauma. And and the jury bought it. It's kind of similar to like the sleepwalking defense almost, you know, because there's been a couple cases out there of people who have killed while sleepwalking. But that the psyche, the mind can do crazy things if under stress, you know? Yeah, it's it's a (laughs) that's a crazy case, right?
0: Yeah, it's pretty mind blowing that she got off on that.
1: I know. And I I wasn't able to find much information about her afterwards, but I don't believe she's recommitted, you know, recommitted any crime or anything. She might still be alive today. I don't know. She might be in her like 60s or 70s if she's still alive. But yeah, that that happened almost exactly 40 years ago. Wow. And um, there will be some kind of either movie or TV version of it that people can be on the lookout for. Oh. Um, so yeah, that is the case of Betty Gore and the Friday the Thirteenth murder.
0: Well, that went from zero. I to know,
1: kind three. of a boring affair to like axe murder. Yeah. <laughs> and i mean by all accounts one of the reasons that i think that the texas monthly article spends so much time on the affair too is just to show you how kind of asinine and mundane this affair was like she wasn't a fiery rageful individual like by all accounts like it was an amicable breakup and she was fine with it and like at least a year if not two years went by where they they weren't continuing the affair so there was no like heat of the moment passion kind of thing happening i mean obviously there was for betty if if betty truly did come at her with an axe but yeah it's a crazy story yeah yeah
0: well thank you for sharing
1: yeah <laughs> so while you were gone um
0: <laughs> see how much you can get done when i'm not around <laughs>
1: So I mean I wish I could have done a better job, but I'm I'm really looking forward to the movie that's going to be coming out about it with Elizabeth Moss. So we'll be on the lookout for that.
0: Yeah, I want to see what they do with that chicken. <laughs>
1: All right. So uh, you can find us on all of the platforms and follow us on all of the social medias. We have a pretty awesome Facebook group that's fairly active uh, called True Crime Dumpster. If you want to join and say, you know, see some stuff. But speaking of axe murders, the us see that segue. Um, oh. Lizzie Borden's house is for sale. Oh, yeah. Not the house that she killed her family in because that one actually you can you can stay in. It's like, yeah, a, yeah. like a museum, but no, the house she bought after she was acquitted of the murders. It's like this beautiful seven-room bedroom, seven-bedroom home in uh, Massachusetts.
0: She lived there with her sister, right?
1: No, after the trial, I don't think her sister ever talked to her again.
0: Oh, I thought they lived together, but maybe
1: they did prior. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, they they were estranged from one another. So that's it for this week, folks. But you can join us next week as we keep talking out the trash on the True Crime Dumpster podcast. Kevin?
0: Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Tell your friends about our fucking awesome podcast.
1: (laughs) And next week we'll be doing episode 50, and hopefully we'll be doing that one in person.
0: I have a pretty good feeling about it.
1: All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you have a great week.
0: Thanks, and we'll see you next time.
1: All right. Bye.
0: Bye.